0: This episode is dedicated with love to Steph's brother, Nick Fornasier. Hello, and welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we spiral down memory lane with cult classics, jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with traffic. What we lack in education, we make up for with comedy, compassion, and camaraderie. I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty, here today with a very special guest, podcaster, psychologist, mother of one... The host of one of my favorite podcasts about movies, pronouns, she/her. It is Steph
1: Fornasier. Thank you so much Did I for having your... me. Don't say your last name. Yes, right? You said it perfectly. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and you are also one of my favorite podcasts. So it's, it's an absolute honor to be on. Bring your own popcorn.
0: Oh, thank you so much. That's so. I'm so excited. <laughs> That's so nice. <laughs> so you have chosen a fabulous movie that means a lot to you for us to discuss. Mm -hmm. And I'm super excited to talk about it. But before we get into that, we are going to dive into your experience of movies. So our first question is, what was the first movie that you remember seeing in
1: theaters? So the first movie I remember seeing was The Little Mermaid. I'm pretty sure it was my dad that took me to see The Little Mermaid and he kept saying that we're going, we're going to the pictures, we're going to the pictures. And <laughs> I don't know who calls movies the pictures these days, but that's what he called them. <laughs> I love that. And so when we went and saw it and I absolutely loved it, I was asking like okay where are the pictures now? <laughs> like, where are these pictures? I'm waiting for these pictures. And then I think you know I was 4 so I think I had a little little tiny meltdown like where's my pictures? Oh no. And, uh, poor dad going. That that was it. There were the pictures. <laughs> Moving pictures. Exactly. Yes. It's definitely one of those kids that took things very literal. But yeah, I loved The Little Mermaid and it's definitely sat with me as one of my favourite Disney films. I also like part of my podcast is like analysing some of the themes of mental illness or disability within them. And it definitely does not pass the test for many reasons. Mm. And it's got so many like problematic messages within it, but I still... Love it for what it is. And I'm really excited that the uh, remake is coming out and I can take my son to go see it, even though he has already gone to the movies before. But (laughs) just being able to replicate that experience with him is going to be really cool. Yeah. Will he be about the age that you were when you saw it? Yeah. I think by the time it comes out, yeah, he's three. So he'll probably be three and a half, four by the time we actually go see it. Oh, how cute. I love that. And he loves film. So that's good.
0: Nice. Do you remember, so your dad said you were going to the pictures, do you remember, did you expect that you would get like signed photographs
1: of Ariel or what did you think the pictures would I think be? what I was expecting was like a gallery, like, mm. a, like lots of photos mm-hmm. and paintings, which <laughs> exists. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's what I thought he was going to show me. Yeah. Because it was in the city in Brisbane and we walked past one of those sort of rotating signs that you know, shows lots of different ads. And he pointed at that and like, look, there's some pictures.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense where's the pictures? (laughs) (laughs) So you went with your dad for that one? Was it just your dad or both parents, siblings?
1: Yeah, it was just my dad. And he, he worked a lot. So I didn't spend a lot of time with my dad growing up. Mm. Mum was like the primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. And my brother was born when I was around four years old. So yeah, it would have been like, I'm going to take my daughter to see a movie as a bit of a bonding thing, which was good.
0: Oh yeah. And so it was like your last, like one good bonding
1: time with dad before the baby arrived? Possibly. Yeah. That that was probably going on in the background too. <laughs> <laughs> in my family, movies were always a big thing. And my brother ended up growing up to become a film editor, like he did film and TV. Oh wow. Yeah. And I just always loved watching movies. So yeah, I think that was just something we're always going to do as a family in some ways.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Speaking of families, what was the first movie that you saw in theaters without any parents or supervising adults?
1: I had to really dig back in my mind to remember this one. I was like, is this the one that we saw? I'm pretty sure I went and saw Lassie, sort of remake of obviously the old movie from, I don't even remember when, but it was in 1994. So it checks out because I would have been about eight. Mm-hmm. And I went. With my best friend at the time. And I think we were on holiday. Like, I think we were somewhere near the beach and our parents were happy for us to go in together to see this film don't remember anything about the movie and I watched the trailer before and I was like, nope, don't remember anything about this. But but I'm pretty certain it was Lassie because that was what was screening at the time. It was definitely a dog film. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was like a famous footballer at the time, for anyone who's Australian who's listening, it was Mal Meninga. <laughs> um, Americans will not know who that is. No, <laughs> And he was sitting in front of us and we spent most, and this is probably why I don't remember it, we spent most of the time going, it's Mal Meninga. We should say hello. Oh, no. <laughs> Just like freaking out over that. Aww. I don't even like football, but <laughs> yeah, obviously um, he was pretty popular at the time. So, yeah, he, he was there with his kids. Wow. Yeah. And I remember it being like we were a bit nervous to be at the f- cinema by ourselves, yeah. which is weird, but also very excited.
0: Yeah, it's so big. And especially when you're that age, you're like so small in this huge room all by yourselves.
1: Yeah, exactly. But it was a nice sort of experience because it wasn't about the movie, it was about the experience. So, yeah.
0: Yes, totally. I, that was the same age that I was when I saw my first movie without parents and pretty much the same situation I went with my, like my best friend. We went and we watched two movies back to back. <laughs> oh, wow. And I know what the movies are, but. I don't know a single thing that happens in them. <laughs> because yeah, it was just about hanging out with my friend and being like, "Wow, we're here without adults." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What what movies did you see? We saw Rush Hour 2 and neither one of us had seen the first one. <laughs> and Rat Race. Oh, Rat Race. I remember that one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't,
1: but we had a blast. It's a very silly film. Yeah. I don't think you missed out on too much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I remember they were both silly. Like, I remember laughing. I remember having a good time, like, liking the movies. I just don't remember, like, you know, anything that actually happened in them. Mm.
1: Well, looking back at Last Sea, it seems like a fairly boring film. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) bummer. (laughs) But, you know, I guess at the time it was perfect for that age group. Yeah. Although there's some pretty brutal things that happen to Lassie in the trailer. Like, oh, he's almost like he's kidnapped and there's, he ends up like in a bubbling brook, like floating away. And yeah, there's like a gun and stuff. So, what the heck? heck? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, a lot happens and they put all Lossy. of that in the trailer. <laughs> that's intense. Yeah, it was a pretty long trailer too. It was Dang. one of those trailers where you kind of see the whole film.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the reasons so I'm like very against trailers just for me personally, not that I I don't try to dictate that to anybody else, but I try to never watch trailers because I just really don't like them for that reason and I really like to be surprised. Yeah, my sort of like Justification behind it is whoever edited a movie was hired and handpicked to edit the movie. And then the director and everyone carefully like looked over their work and everyone agreed, like, yes, this is the correct editing. Mm -hmm. With a trailer for a movie, that's not the case. Like, I don't even know how much the director and creators of the film are involved
1: with the trailer making at all. And some trailers just are completely different from what the actual film is. Yeah. And it's sort of like almost insulting. The- to the actual filmmaker it is like that that's my feeling like so, so some other editor
0: like has created a new piece of art with the trailer basically and so I prefer to like nope
1: I want to go on cold <laughs> I'm a little bit more like that these days like I, there used to be days where I just watch movie trailers for a whole afternoon just to see what (laughs) what else is out there but now if a movie's coming out that i'm interested in it's like that's all i need i'm just gonna go watch it (laughs) rather than go through the trailer yeah one one more thing about lassie too yeah a very young michelle williams is in it oh wait i'm trying to remember who that is she was in dawson's creek um she was married to heath ledger oh she's a very good actress okay i've seen her in some i recognize her face but i don't know what i've seen her in
0: so you saw Lassie with your your friend. Was it your best friend or just
1: a friend that happened to come with you on this trip? She was my best friend. She's someone who I actually met at kindergarten,
0: Ooh. like
1: daycare. Wow. And became really close to. She lived in Brisbane and I ended up moving to Caboolture, which was like an about an hour away. So we didn't get to see each other that often. So whenever we did see each, each other, it was always like a whole weekend or, you know, if she was on holidays, I'd stay with them at their holiday place. Aww. And I remember being really – I'd always really, really miss her. Like I was super close to her and she was kind of a, a very intense friendship. <laughs> and then as we sort of became teenagers, we kind of drifted apart and, mm. yeah, I still – like I have her on Facebook and stuff like that. But, yeah, we haven't really – seen each other since like we were maybe 21 mm. that she was yeah a very important friendship in my life
0: oh, oh that's very that's very sweet I love I sort of had a similar experience with the the bestie that I saw Rush Hour 2 and Rat Race with in terms of it was a friend I had moved away from and so when we went to see the movies like we hadn't seen each other in a while and it was one of the last times we really saw each other for an extended period of time and I just feel like those kinds of memories are super magical and I like that movies can give an anchor point for us to sort of remember these times with with friends of times past.
1: Yeah, that's so true. Like when I remember spending time with her, I remember what we watched or what what sort of media or toys we engaged with. We loved Barbie dolls, mm-hmm. so we'd always play Barbie. <laughs> and I remember another film I went and saw with her was Tommy Boy with Chris oh, Farley. Yeah, I
0: loved, yeah, I loved that
1: movie. <laughs> but I remember that movie because I ended up being pretty into it. <laughs> so yeah, that was like we bonded over humor, definitely. Nice. I wonder if that one holds up, but yeah, I loved it.
0: (laughs) Back then, I loved it Probably doesn't at all. (laughs) Uh, Well, so those are your your first you remember seeing, first without parents. And now please tell me
1: one of your favorite movies of all time and why it's one of your favorites. One of my favorite, favorite movies would be Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Oh, nice. I think because it is just so much fun fun Mm -hmm. and so like it's hilarious like I could quote it off the top of my head when I was (laughs) I remember lying in the sick bay one day and just going through the movie in my head because I was bored. Um, <laughs> and it's – I think I'm drawn to movies where there isn't, like, a romantic plot line, too, yeah. as much as I love romantic movies. Like, the friendship within it is so yeah. – it's such a really good story of um, your long-life friends being sort of the more important thing than what other people think of you from high school, etc. Absolutely. So, yeah, I've seen that movie so many times. And the music is amazing in and the fashion is amazing in it and one of the most awesome things in it for me was the fact that Michelle who's played by Lisa Kudrow wears a back brace and she has scoliosis Mm -hmm. and I had well I still have scoliosis but I was diagnosed with it when I was like 14 Mm. and had to wear a back brace and yeah so the just the scoliosis references to it was like that's me oh yeah representation (laughs) exactly yeah I'd love to do an episode of it on my podcast, but it's like this amount of the film. It's so small in it. <laughs> yeah. So it probably couldn't carry a whole episode, but it's just like you don't see a lot of scoliosis in film. And it's kind of played for a joke in it, but I don't see it. I, I kind of just go, yeah, because, you know, <laughs> I was a nerd at school. I didn't have cool friends. I wasn't cool. I know it's, play- it's kind of played for
0: laughs, but the back bracing is kind of played for laughs but I feel like it was less in a punching down way and more in a like people bully people who are
1: different in high school. Like they were acknowledging that. Exactly, exactly. Like when they say, oh, it's the back brace girl. Hi, back brace girl. She's like, what? (laughs)
0: Like, that makes no sense now. Yeah, and we know that those people are assholes. So like, we're not supposed to think like, oh, they're cool
1: that they're saying that to her. (laughs) It's like, no, they suck. Exactly, yeah. And you know they're the heroes of the story, and we root for them. So yeah, I feel like it's done in a a relatable, respectful way. Yeah, I agree. That is a super fun movie that I
0: got the honor of watching when uh, past guest Roderamone. Ah, <gasps> I did it see was that her done movie. It.
1: Awesome. Yeah, yeah,
0: it was her choice, and yeah, it was super fun chatting about it. Yeah, if you ever do an episode on it, I'd love to hear it.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll let you know. It'll be like a five-minute episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, you could do like a special.
1: Related to disability. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you see it as a teenager? Yeah, we borrowed it from the the video shop. It was either on video or DVD, I don't remember. But yeah, we watched it. (laughs) Yeah, it was like a Saturday night and we were picking some movies to watch and that was one of them. And, yeah, it was one of those movies where you always saw it and the, the video show up and went, oh, I wonder what that's about. And I was like, all right, let's 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 check it out. And it ended up being the most amazing film, <laughs> which is what I love most when you like, I don't know anything about this movie, I've just looked at the cover, we'll see what it's like, and it ends up being just an absolute ball.
0: Yeah, that was such a an interesting, different experience that like no one can really have anymore when you used to go. There didn't used to be a YouTube where you would just like look up movie trailers. So you would just go exactly. to the video store and just be like, well, that cover looks interesting. And that's yeah. all you knew
1: about it. And blurbs were very, there was very inconsistent. Like you could read the back and totally understand what this movie is about or not. Yes,
0: totally. <laughs> Yeah, just like trailers, it was like whatever the the distribution company wanted to be highlighted. You know, some copywriter wrote some blurb.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's definitely it became like a comfort movie, and it's still definitely like my comfort movie when I just want to feel like wholesome and happy. Nice. Yeah,
0: I love comfort movies. Overall, how would you describe your relationship with
1: movies? They're very, very much a part of my life in many ways, even when. As a parent who works part-time, it's very hard to go to the movies. But I do like that now a lot of films are being released on streaming services so that if you don't get a chance to go to the movies, you can still enjoy the experience. Like that's a really – it's been a really positive thing. (laughs) I remember like growing up, being quite young, watching a lot of films that looking back were terrible, but I just watched them on repeat all the time, like Look Who's Talking, which is an awful film. And not really for kids, but I don't know if adults enjoy it. And I also am a big fan of music, and music was definitely something that I was very passionate about. But I think movies is probably equal to music, especially now that I'm trying to pass that on to my son, and he's become a real key movie watcher as well. And his favourite movie is currently Nightmare Before Christmas, which is also... (laughs) Not what I expected him to really get into because it's kind of a bit creepy, but he (laughs) loves it to death. Nice. So, yeah, movies are definitely, I think, a bonding experience for my family when I was growing up and certainly one in my sort of new family. I think one of the things that drew, drew me to starting a podcast was just, like, how much movies have shaped my beliefs and values and how I see particular things, which is the case for most people and just looking at di- dissecting that in a bit more detail. So yeah, I'm pretty obsessed with movies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I love what you said about like how movies influence us. And I think a lot of people don't really think about that or don't even aren't even really aware of that. And I think that even if you think that movies don't influence you, I think they do. <laughs> just a lot of people usually, don't... yeah, yeah. A lot of people just don't really examine that relationship or experience a lot further necessarily. Exactly.
1: And it is a means of entertainment. So for a lot of people, they don't want to look at it any further because they just want to be entertained, Yeah, which is fair and fine. But I've never been one of those people. Like, <laughs> you know, I'll think about if a movie made an impact on me, I'll think about it for months later and relate to it and sort of try and figure out what it's trying to say and how that sort of relates to society etc yeah which is what i love about it
0: yeah that and like books i really like the aspect of movies where you basically get to experience lives and meet people that you never would experience or meet otherwise even though it's you know it's not reality but it's a jumping off point for the imagination that you couldn't just necessarily organically come up with without actually seeing these
1: perspectives from other people's perspectives exactly yeah it, like it creates a window into a world that you wouldn't know much about it without that like even though there's there's information at our fingertips all the time it's very different from actually seeing yourself in someone's shoes which movies and books sort of allow us to do and i do love books as well but i very rarely get time to read a book from start to finish these days especially yeah. doing a movie podcast
0: <laughs> yeah same year <here.
1: laughs> So you said that you
0: also really love music. Did you ever get into, like, movie soundtracks or composers or anything like that?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hugely. Especially, like, I think Wes Anderson taught me a lot about, like, old folk music and Mm. Bob Dylan and the Kinks and all of that sort of thing. And in this film that we're about to talk about, there's lots of – the soundtrack is a huge part of it. Very much. And there's some really – great soundtracks for movies that are kind of average and but because of the soundtrack the movie increases in quality i think totally yes i think soundtracks can make or
0: break like mid content (laughs) like they can take something that's mid yes and make it worse if it's not good (laughs) or they can make something like super watchable because the soundtrack is carrying stuff and like adding character where an actor's performance might not have Quite filled the space otherwise. <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah, hundred percent. It just enhances the 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 mood and the message and the feelings so much. I, what I'd love to be in my dream job is just make soundtracks for for films that are coming out not not be involved in the actual creation of the film just like figure out the best songs to put in there Hell that yeah. would be so cool <laughs> yeah
0: that's one that's in my like long list of dream jobs too i can't i don't know what that person is called <laughs> although i know with with some um screenplays including the one the movie that you chose for your feature film the writer or director sometimes like puts the song in the screenplay so it's like oh yeah no no one else is selecting the music here yeah yeah <laughs> It's already decided. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, which is definitely the case with um, auteurs such as Wes Anderson and P.T. Anderson and, like, Cameron Crowe, all those directors that make music a very big part of their film. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, my first – the first CD I ever bought was the Titanic OST. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I remember getting it, like, at Radio Shack, I think.
1: Memories. I remember – my friend brought over a tape with My Heart Will Go On recorded on repeat all the way through the tape and we <laughs> we just put it on and listened to it and sang <laughs> to it for a whole laughter. Did you
0: have the lyrics memorised after that? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think everyone had that experience who were around during Titanic's opening. It's- yeah, that song was everywhere. Absolutely, yeah. Do you do you remember what your first movie soundtrack was that you bought? I think I actually, I do remember, I won mm. the X-Files movie soundtrack. Oh. Yeah, I entered a competition in the newspaper and I won it and I was so excited. Oh,
0: um, <laughs> cool. Yeah,
1: so, and the soundtrack is actually pretty good. Was it just a drawing or was it? No, I think I just had to like maybe i had to call up or something like it was something just very simple like oh, okay. oh, answer this question 25 words or less Oh. and yeah i came home from school and there it was <laughs> and yeah there's like there's nick cave in it Ooh. and oh, i can't remember what else was in it but yeah it was a pretty solid soundtrack to it again like it's an okay film
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, solid soundtrack yeah yeah that's awesome
1: and i was pretty obsessed with the x-files sir
0: yes i i also love the (laughs) (laughs) x-files awesome this is the space where the ads go Hey, you like a podcast? Would you like podcasts about old dudes talking about K-pop that they don't know anything about? Well, we got a podcast for you. Yeah, just roll that intro, baby.
1: I'll make a stay out of
0: you.
1: Wakey, wakey. We are robots. Where? are we sausage
0: am i gonna cut that i'm gonna cut that <laughs> girl wolf gang so jeanette and i have been watching this show this is about
1: stray kids phil
0: welcome back to i'll make a stay out of you the podcast where i uh, <coughs> wanted to show a theme song to my friend tom
1: and then we kept doing that a hundred times i'll make a stay
0: Hi, I'm Milk, and this is a promo for my podcast, Nymphomercial, where me and my co-host review hentai, both enthusiastically and regrettably. So if that sounds like a good time to you, find Nymphomercial wherever you get podcasts. Well, we are going to get into the feature film discussion, but before we do, I'm going to do a little introduction. The feature film that we are discussing today, chosen by Stephanie, is a 2001 American science fiction psychological thriller film, written and directed by Richard Kelly in his first feature film. Development for this movie first started in 1997, when Richard Kelly had just graduated from film school and had started writing scripts. He was inspired to write something based off of a news story that he had read as a child, which he later called an urban legend, about a large piece of ice falling from the wing of a plane and crashing through a boy's bedroom, who was not there at the time, and thus escaped death. In October 1998, he sat down to write the script and completed it in 28 days, the same time period as the film. The time of year influenced kelly to set the film around halloween he summarized the initial script as quote an amusing and poignant recollection of suburban america in the reagan era after two short films kelly started trying to shop around the script for this feature film idea while pitching the script kelly and producer scott mckittrick insisted that kelly direct the film himself which affected its chances at being picked up mckittrick said that the film was the challenging script in town that everybody wanted to make, but was too afraid to do it. Kelly recalled 1999 as being a year of meeting after meeting, being rejected over and over, and thought that the film was dead at this point. Development finally progressed after agents at the Creative Artists Agency took an interest in the script and signed Kelly on. Drew Barrymore then accepted the role of Karen and arranged a meeting with Kelly in March, 2000 on the set of Charlie's Angels. Which I thought was just a cute little fact. He like went to the set of Charlie's Angels. You know, this, just this
1: guy. He's <laughs> probably such a geeky looking guy on such a like a very early 2000 set. <laughs> yes. Barrymore suggested that her and
0: Nancy Juvenin's new production company, Flower Films, produce the film, and Kelly agreed, receiving a $4.5 million budget, which Kelly called the bare minimum to make this film. When shooting began, director Kelly was only 25 years old, which... When i read that i was like what <laughs> oh my god so
1: young, <laughs>
0: so young filming took 28 days again in the summer of 2000 mostly in california the film premiered in 2001 at the sundance film festival and then it fell into a limbo for many months as nobody wanted to distribute it. Finally, thanks to Memento director Aaron Ryder and Christopher Nolan and his wife Emma Thomas convinced Newmarket to distribute it theatrically. This led to a limited theatrical release on October 26th. However, the film's advertising featured a crashing plane and this was 2001. That was not something that anyone wanted to advertise as the 9-11 plane attacks had occurred just a month and a half earlier. This made a huge dent in the film's box office performance, and if you'll recall, they had a budget of $4.5 million. It ended up grossing just over 500 k in its initial run from October 2001 to April 2002. However, the film then received positive reviews, and after re-releases, it went on to gross $7.5 million worldwide. Following its release on home video in March 2002, that's when things really took off, becoming a cult classic. The Pioneer Theater in New York City began midnight screenings of it that ran for 28 consecutive months. There's that 28 again. Wild. (laughs) This movie was nominated for 21 independent awards, winning 11 of them, and later ended up as number two on Empire Magazine's list of the 50 greatest independent films of all time and number 53 in Empire's 500 greatest movies of all time. It went on to earn more than $10 million in home video sales in the US alone and gained a cult following. The movie we are talking about is Donnie Darko.
1: Donnie Darko.
0: (laughs) (laughs) 70, or sorry, I'm sorry. You're not in trouble. I accidentally said (laughs) 70. Sorry, you can say it. Steph. Steph. (laughs) Tell me, in your opinion, what are the most important things that happen in this movie?
1: I guess the important thing to start with in this film is the sense of family. Donnie is the sort of middle child to his older sister and much younger sister, and Jake Gyllenhaal and Maggie Gyllenhaal do place siblings in this film. <laughs> yeah. And they seem like a super loving, close-knit family in a very tight-knit community, which, as you mentioned, sort of highlights the sort of Reagan era of, like, the 80s yeah. in the US. And I don't know that much about US politics, but I have heard that this has sort of been interpreted as, like, like the attentions of that time, but we see very quickly that Donnie's got some stuff going on (laughs) and then we hear that there's been some aggression in his past and that he's you know been in trouble at school and he's also in therapy and takes medication but it's not till sort of later in the film that his psychiatrist actually says he's got paranoid schizophrenia there's that sort of backstory that this is sort of the troubled teen very attractive troubled teen which i was (laughs) into at that time (laughs) like i watched this in 2002 and i would have been In 16, I think, Mm. I was very, very attracted to Donnie. Yes, same. (laughs) And then I guess the really key thing, which relates to that 28, 28, 28, Mm -hmm. is he's visited by Frank, who is a very tall, rinky-looking bunny rabbit, but it's (laughs) like a man in a bunny rabbit suit, who one night guides him out of his bedroom in time for a random jet engine to crash through his roof. And Frank tells Donnie that the world will end in 28 days, six hours, 42 minutes and 12 seconds. Yeah, And that sort of kicks off a series of events, which sort of leads Donnie to believe that he is responsible for stopping the world ending. And it's sort of at this point where it's like, is donny mentally ill mm-hmm. or is this really happening mm-hmm. is this like another world like another a rift in the time space continuum continuum happening or is donny if he does indeed have schizophrenia is this a hallucination that he's experiencing and I guess that's like sort of the big question in the film. One of the big questions you could interpret from the film because I think what you could also say is it doesn't really matter whether it's real or not. It's what the what the message is from the film. Mm. It's also that sort of chain of events that lead on to the other, like a domino effect where mm. there's a pattern in each of the events that lead to an outcome, mm-hmm. which can also be an experience for People with schizophrenia and other sort of dissociative disorders where you could think there's a pattern in something, but it's actually random. Mm. But it's very clear that, um, for example, during a hallucination, Donnie floods his school, which leads them to have to go home early and then leads Donnie to meet Gretchen, Mm. who ends up being... His girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He also gets told by Frank in another hallucination to burn down the house of Jim Cunningham who's like the self-help guru and then they discover that he's actually part of a child porn ring so all these things happen that uncover quite big parts of the plot there, there was also a director's cut of this film which sort of highlighted this next part of the film which is donnie discovers that his elderly neighbor roberta sparrow wrote a book called the philosophy of time travel yes which explains everything that's happening to him so far and i don't know if you saw the director's cut but it sort of cuts and pastes bit of this book into the film at various points have you seen the director's cut I watched, rewatched the movie last night, and I intended to watch the director's
0: cut, but I didn't like search for that. And so I don't know if I watched it or not.
1: (laughs) I don't even know if you can find it because, yeah, when I rewatched it, it was just the normal. But yeah, the director's cut, it came out like a few years later. I was in university and it just added more of the sort of philosophy of time travel to it. Mm. And to make it a bit more explicit, because I think a lot of people came out of the film going like, I don't know what just happened. (laughs) So it was like a response to that. It wasn't as good okay kind of hits you in the face with this is this is what's happening next because of this chapter of the philosophy of time travel gotcha but i dragged all my friends to go see that at a little independent cinema in brisbane when it came out nice (laughs) a lot of them were like what did you make us see (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was great being able to see it at the cinema. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's sort of linking back what's happening to this philosophy of time travel and he asks his science teacher, is this possible? Could there be time travel? And and one of my favourite bits in the film is where Donnie's, like, asking more questions of his science teacher and his science teacher says, I can't continue this conversation. Yes. And Donnie says, why not? Because I could lose my job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that moment. Which is all very dramatic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> True, though. That's true. So what I thought that was happening in that scene, and I could just be making it up in my head, but the last thing that Donnie said was something about God's path. And so I thought that, like, the teacher was thinking, God doesn't exist, kid. And he's like, well, I can't say that because I'll get fired, especially in this, like,
1: conservative town. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess that's a really important overlay as well, is it's a very religious conservative town and the science teacher as well as the English teacher played by Drew Barrymore. Yes. They're sort of more this sort of young, more up-to-date modern teachers trying to push some of the modern views into the school. And then the PE teacher, who's very, very conservative, played by Beth Grant, is very disputing the English teacher, reading um, Graham Greene's The Destructors. And what's happening to Donnie is very questioning a lot of that as well. Yeah, The question of religion versus modern and you know what? What happens after death, and that sort of existential crisis that's going on as well, which also spoke to me a lot as I was growing up, because I sort of had bouts of feeling like, yeah, there's a God, and I guess I'm a Christian, and then at the end of the day, I was like, nah, this isn't for me. So that was definitely <laughs> something I was going through as well, because I had yeah. quite a few religious friends. Mm. The main crux is that due to a series of events everything sort of comes to place towards the end of the world. So it sort of takes you through each of the the days and it's leading up to essentially... Halloween. Donnie and his sister are home alone, so they throw a party. That sort of leads to all at the same time Gretchen dying, being run over by real-life human Frank, who turns out to be Donnie's sister's boyfriend. So Donnie actually kills Frank in retaliation. So that's why Frank has died, is because Donnie's actually killed him. Yeah. Which is all very confusing. (laughs) But... (laughs) and then at the same time the plane that his sister and mama are on goes through some turbulence and the jet engine is that that artifact that ends up creating this this 28-day sort of cycle where where Donnie is having all these hallucinations so what he learns he has to do essentially is go back into time and not have left the house when the jet engine falls into his house. So I guess the the message is that the world doesn't end but his world ends. Yes. And this 28-day portal is sort of closed. Yeah. I remember watching it thinking, oh, this is like a messed-up hot guy movie and then it becomes (laughs) (laughs) a very science fiction movie. It's almost like, well, what was the sort of purpose? But I think the purpose was that Donny had to learn. He had to learn how to love. He had to learn how to put others' needs first. He, he needed to sort of touch all the lives of these people in positive ways for the world to end Mm. and then the last scene where it's way back to the beginning when the jet engine comes into his house and it's the warning after and the mum and Gretchen wave at each other (laughs) like they sort of know each other but they don't and it's sort of like Donnie touched their lives and they don't quite kind of realise yeah and it's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah and I took
0: a glance at the screenplay last night and it, and it's kind of explicit about that last scene where the little boy asks Gretchen if she knew Donnie and out loud and in the movie she just is like no. But on in the screenplay, it's like Gretchen pauses and thinks, and you know, it passes her face that she's got some memory of him that she can't quite bring to the surface, type of thing. And mm. then, mm. and then the same thing between Donnie's mom and her, where it's like there's a flicker of recognition, but they don't know why, mm. type of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, sort of a connection and. A, a- understanding that they're not understanding why they have that yeah yeah which also is just shows how good the actors are too i feel like the acting in it is just wonderful totally yeah jenna malone the the actress who plays gretchen
0: ross like was phenomenal and i think she was only like 16 in this she did a great job
1: yeah and she's she's such a She's done such good films. She just gets better and better, I feel. Yeah. And then this was Jake Gyllenhaal's, like, big film. So yes. I think – I don't think he'd done much before then. There was, like, Bubble Boy. He did October Sky and then –
0: Ah, oh, that's right. Yeah. And that was, like, okay. Like, I don't think it made a name for him, but it, like, was like, Yeah, there he is. There's Mr. It's Gyllenhaal's Jake. son because <laughs> his, his dad is, is a filmmaker. So He'd been around
1: for a uh, while. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it really solidified Jake's career. And I guess Maggie's too, although this wasn't sort of her film, I think that was probably more secretary. And, yeah, I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Hall. And I'm not a Swifty, so I don't understand the whole give the coat back, Jake, or whatever it is. Scarf.
0: <laughs> the scarf. Yeah. I'm not a Swifty either. How but... much I understand.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's just a really, really good actor and got lots of range as well. There's some really good acting moments. And it's also funny too. Like I love the beginning where it's like, what's a fuck ass? And, yeah. and I often say this. Donnie's mom says, my son just called me a bitch. And his dad says, you're bitching, but you're not a bitch.
0: Yeah, so cute. I love this family. Like, I think I hadn't realized this until just now, but I think that this was one of the few like positive family depictions I had seen in movies. Cause I, I feel like American films have a lot of negative portrayals of families Yes, of like abusive families or if not outright abusive, they're just like unpleasant and even
1: sometimes they're unpleasant and framed in a way that it's, it's supposed to be okay. Yeah, or just not present at all, like a lot of those Yes. 16 Candles and things like that. Mm-hmm.
0: John Hughes.
1: Yeah, John Hughes films where they're just, like, absent and yeah. not connected with their kids' lives. You can you can just see how much Donnie's parents are on his side, like mm-hmm. when he gets in trouble for shoving the card into his teacher's auntie. Threatening to (laughs) um put it into her anus they just laugh. Like (laughs) Yeah. Oh, one of my favorite
0: moments that made me I don't think it made me cry as a teen, but it did make me cry now because I'm more sensitive and well adjusted (laughs) was when Donnie says to his mom, What does it feel like to have a a wacko as a son or something like that? Yeah. Do you remember what word he uses?
1: I think it's wacko or screw up, but yeah, wacko sounds right.
0: And she responds by saying, "It feels
1: wonderful," and then strokes his face. Like, I was literally just about to mention that moment because it's just so beautiful and so sweet. Just shows that unconditional love. The fact that they just really want to do whatever they can to help him. And I don't absolutely love the depiction of therapy, but I love that Mm. depiction of the parents talking to the therapist when she's sort of sharing her concerns and like her advice being to like increase the medication and do more hypnosis and they're just like like they're concerned about that but they're like whatever will help him Mm -hmm. if that's what you think yeah go for it.
0: Yeah, complete trust in authority figures that can often go wrong and bad, but that comes from a place of we just want to help him whatever that takes and don't have a stigma against the things that could help him.
1: Yeah. He's obviously got this reputation at school for being like the the bad boy. But His family, they don't perpetuate that reputation at all. Uh, They still want to see him just as, like they love him just as much as, as the other kids.
0: Yeah, although they are understandably like exasperated with him. Yes, <laughs> as you would <put> be. <laughs> yeah. So this movie is fairly open ended. Like it's not. It sounds like maybe in the director's cut, it's shoving it down your throat a little bit. But at least in the theatrical release, it's it's really not. But in your head canon, what do you think is really like the arc of of what really happened? Like, do you think Donnie has mental illness at all? Do you think it's entirely a time travel thing? What's your opinion perspective?
1: I think in my head, it's still a question mark because you could look at it as a purely mental health portrayal of that. He is someone with a mental illness. He is experiencing delusions and hallucinations, which as a movie ha- was not really shown in this way before. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of relatable in that he's kind of got a very disorganised mind. There's some sort of paranoia going on there. And it could just be a whole loop where something that he goes through before potentially ending his own life and all these things that are happening that aren't happening to everybody else. Mm. But I think its intent is to be a science fiction film. And I think that makes more sense. But whether or not it is, I think it still stands out as a really good question you could totally believe it either way and it would all sort of still give you the same sort of movie experience if you believe he's mentally ill I don't think it negates the power of the film and if you believe that it's all science fiction I don't think that negates it as well because I think the message is the same in that love like if you read the philosophy of time travel which you used to be able to do on the website oh I know sure you could find it somewhere it's- the website's broken but yeah I wonder if it's yeah out there somewhere you know that sort of juxtaposition between fear and love that comes into the film like that's sort of the message is that you need to overcome fear with love and then you can do what the outcome that's needed for for him to travel back will Mm -hmm. occur and while that's very binary and the world isn't that simple I think that message of him learning that experience of love is the same I guess if that makes sense I think so (laughs) If you look at it as Donnie having schizophrenia and this is something that sort of happens for him to sort of come to terms with his life, it could be seen positive except for the fact that I guess we're interpreting that he's ended his life, which Mm. is not so positive. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the science fiction plotline, then you're still getting that message that he's sort of learning his place in the world and his love for the people around him. Mm -hmm. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Did you go to the website when it was around? I think I did, but I it was so long ago that I don't remember. I was in junior high when it Oh uh, yeah. Out. or I think when I saw it I was in junior high.
1: Yeah it was one of a kind website and it was all run on Flash and now Flash doesn't exist so that's why yeah. it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> so sad I loved Flash. It was so good there's so much so many websites that were Flash that just made my teenagehood. Yeah yeah thanks for sharing your perspective of it. To me I
0: definitely like viewing I like the idea that it's you know whoever sees it can interpret it however they want and I don't think anyone's wrong but for me I I really like the holy sci-fi version of it and that's partially just because i love sci-fi so i'm just like well i love sci-fi movies and i like this movie therefore (laughs) it's sci-fi
1: yeah And I think the mental illness can be part of it either way. Yeah. Because, like, there is that discussion. It sounds like he had his symptoms prior to Frank coming into the mix. And generally I think the community liked Johnny Darko's depiction of mental illness and Mm. particularly schizophrenia. That doesn't mean to say there's not some, like, maybe potentially tropey messages within it, but Mm. I think it's fairly respectful in that way apart from if you take the sci-fi out and the ending is that. Mm he dies yeah that's not so positive
0: yeah yeah oh i think an interesting thing about that too is that like in terms of i guess being allegorical Mm. mental illness often is experiencing the world differently than other people whether that's ptsd exactly. and you know you're, you just have to navigate the world differently because you're having a, a different experience than the standard experience or the non-ptsd experience or any other mental illness or something like schizophrenia where yeah they're just experiencing something different and if donnie really is experiencing all of those things as opposed to it being in his head that's the same thing you know whether he really is experiencing them or they're just in his head either way he is experiencing them
1: exactly yeah it's it's real whichever way you look at it Yeah, and I think it could be an allegory for um, neurodivergence as well yeah in that like experiencing things differently totally well tell me more about the first
0: time that you watched this movie where with who and then please tell me about how your response has evolved since the first watch
1: I think I watched it on DVD so yeah it was during It's sort of second second coming, I guess, of it being more and more popular. And I watched it in my house with I think my brother. And he is four years younger than me, and I would have been sixteen. So I think yeah he probably didn't quite understand, but he still loves this film as well. <laughs> I just thought it was awesome and I really responded to it and I wanted to keep watching it and also developed a pretty big crush on Jake Hall. Because I was a bit of a, a nerd at school, I, my high school experience was fine, but, like, as I said before, I wore a back brace, I had scoliosis, I was, I was part of the nerd group. Mm. I did have boyfriends who were also nerds, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely didn't feel like I fit in particularly mm-hmm. well. I had a lot of social anxiety, yeah, just general anxiety as well. But it spoke to me in that it was this other sort of person who didn't belong, going through all these things. Yeah. Donnie Darko was a big symbol for a lot of teenagers who didn't quite fit in or were misfits, etc. Yeah. In that way. I think a few of my friends also really liked it that were also sort of felt the same way as me. I remember I had like a diary, like we, we'd have our diaries for the year and we'd decorate them and there was Donnie Darko stuff everywhere and quotes <laughs> from Donnie Darko <laughs> and cellar door written everywhere is the most beautiful work <laughs> learned in the world. And I guess the message as well that even if you don't feel like you belong, you can still have a really important purpose and influence everybody's lives for good which could also have a dangerous message in the fact that he dies at the end and he impacts people's lives that could be seen as not a very helpful message for anyone who's you know particularly triggered by some of those um suicidal ideation sort of messages within it but just that sense that even if people sort of write you off or they, they don't think you belong or that there's maybe a greater purpose that they they're just not seeing within you yeah which i think was a really Good message for me as a, as a young girl. <laughs> Particularly, you know, adolescence is rough for everybody. No one has a great, as far as I'm aware, no one has like the best adolescent experience because even if you're very privileged, just your body's still going through so many changes, mm-hmm. emotional changes, um, figuring out who you are. Yeah. And I think Donnie Darko spoke to a lot of adolescents as like that sort of adolescent film as well. Absolutely. And even
0: Jake Gyllenhaal, who was 19 when they started filming, said there's like some behind the scenes interviews from that time where he was like, yeah, I've done, you know, I've done other stuff where I'm playing a teen. And it's always like, yeah, well, this isn't this wasn't my experience at school, but whatever. And Mm. then I read Donnie Darko and it was like, yes, this this is my experience. So if you wondered, like, you know, what am I
1: like in real life? Like, this is this is more like it. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see that show through is, is that you can see Donnie, he's just played so perfectly. And I think some of that lived experience that, that Jake probably had of knowing how that really feels really shines through, I think.
0: Totally. Although he also, apparently after they wrapped filming, he like went up to Richard Kelly and was like laughing and Kelly was like, what? And he's like, I was imitating you. This whole time for the role, oh really, like apparently, yeah, he was apparently like acting like Richard Kelly, who was only twenty five or when they were filming he was <laughs> even younger, that big of a gap.
1: yeah, <laughs> mm, that's funny, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, hats off to Jake Gyllenhaal for being such a good actor. There was a there also a quote
0: that I really liked, and I won't pull it up. I'll just paraphrase. I think it was Scorsese, one of the people who was reviewing the screenplay before production, read the screenplay, you know, while in the room with Richard Kelly, and then like dramatically slammed the script down and pointed to one line, which was a line that says something about how. Adults are kind of just floating along, but the kids know what's really going on and have to figure it out themselves. Mm. And Scorsese was like, that line is what your entire movie is.
1: Yeah. And Kelly
0: sort of used that to inform and like tighten tighten it up. And I think that's totally accurate and speaks to to what you were saying. Definitely. Like how it reached us as teens.
1: Yeah. And also the fact that even though your parents are so well-meaning and want to be there for you. They couldn't protect Donnie from any of this and he couldn't even really share any of this with them. Yeah, it was all just up to these teenagers with minds that are still developing to to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're down to our last question. How did this movie change or affect your life? It just really impacted me in where I was at at that time and I feel like anyone watching that film – you weren't in that sort of adolescent time and especially with the DVD release as well I, th- I think it just got me at the perfect time because it was just you know coincidental that I was going through so sort much of my own mental health issues not fitting in and also some of that ex- existential religious sort of journey as well I think it it just Got me. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so wanky. <laughs> no, you're good. But I, I just think it would have, wouldn't have had as much of an impact in a different time. Like if I watched it now, the for for the first time. Mm. So it really, sh- I think it really shaped my exploration of of just like what life means and and also some of the. Un- interest in mental illness as well because I went on to study psychology. Yeah. But there was a lot of factors involved in that, like my own mental health issues and just the fact it was the only thing I was super interested in besides movies and mu- music. <laughs> yeah, I think it really shaped also how we see the sort of misfits and the kids that struggle at school who don't fit in at school, like having the empathy and, un- and level of understanding that there's something beneath the surface that way we might not be seeing. I think that's really influenced how I am as a psychologist too because I work mostly with kids and have done so, particularly kids at school with behavioural quote-unquote issues. Mm. So I think that message of empathy and understanding and attempting to understand where someone's at, regardless of what you see on the outside, really stuck with me. Yeah. As well as some of that more personal feeling of people might not understand you, but this there's you're still important, which is a message I really needed to hear. Yeah. And I think that really stuck with me as well. So yeah, I think it really majorly influenced my life for a positive thing, which is great because it's it's not the most chirpy, happy film. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I love that. And I imagine It is one of those movies I think that's probably made a big impact on a lot of people's lives in that way. To be like really, I don't know, I guess reductive. Would you say, do you think that if you hadn't seen Donnie Donnie Darko, do you think you still would have gone into the field that you're in? I think I would have, definitely.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There was a lot, there was a lot of influencing factors in me studying psychology. But I think it's just was that extra little push of, what sort of psychologist I am as well because there's a lot of kids like Donnie out there that don't feel understood mm-hmm. and who are, you know, maybe haven't made the best behavioural choices but are loving and are and, and needing something that is is missing or have some other purpose going on that we need to connect with to understand as the adults that are floating around not knowing what's going on.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. And I'm really glad that those kids have someone like you out there helping them out. Oh, thanks. I I try. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for your service. (laughs) Well, this has been a fabulous discussion. If folks would like to find more of Steph, where should they look?
1: the psychocinematic podcast it's got a website psychocinematicpodcast.com i will spell psychocinematic because it's a mouthful it's p <laughs> hopefully i can spell it too <laughs> p-s-y-c-h-o-c-i-n-e-m-a-t-i-c Yay. <Podcast>. yeah yeah <laughs> i'm also on instagram at Podcast. Twitter at Podcast and TikTok at psychocinematic.
0: Perfect. And can you, uh, I could almost do it, but I feel like you would probably do it so much better than me. Can you describe the vibe of your podcast, like what you're aiming to do with it?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. We take a movie, TV show, sometimes documentary and look at it from a psychological lens, analyzing themes of disability and mental illness within it. And we generally try and rate whether we think it passes or not. And I usually get guests on with lived experience. Yeah, we also have a Patreon as well, where I've got lots of bonus content, including I'm currently recapping the last season of Succession, (laughs) which has been a fun time.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: And uh, we also sort of focus on chronic illness at times, too.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Like I said, it's one of my favorite movie podcasts, one of my favorite podcasts and specifically one of my favorite movie podcasts, too. Uh, It's really fantastic and accessible and lovely. And y'all should check it out. And thank you
1: so much, Steph, again, for being on. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. I've absolutely loved talking Donnie Darko with you. And I'm very excited for you to come on my podcast soon, too. Oh,
0: hell yeah. loved you love it. pop, a easy being
1: green when it's cold. On the scene, there's no problem being a fog when your job is I know that people don't stop him, but if a frog had rings, he wouldn't bump his ass to hop